0: Welcome to the Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, August 5th. The need for food banks here in Calgary and right across Canada has nearly doubled since this time last year. So, to break down the need right here in our city, we check in with the Calgary Food Bank's Shauna Ogston. Going back to the office post-COVID, it's going to be a challenge for employees and employers, so we weigh into mandatory vaccines in the workplace and what going back to the office might look like with Janet Candido of Candido Consulting Group. Canadian researchers are involved in working on potential treatments for those who get sick with COVID-19. Dr. Anil Gupta is a family physician and lead investigator and tells us about a new treatment just approved in Canada. Year-round, UV protection is vital for keeping your eyes safe and healthy, Calgary ophthalmologist Dr. Bryce Ford joined us to talk about good eye health. And boy, it's a big day for CFL fans as football kicks off in Canada after a year off due to COVID. Alex Snell is the Calgary Stampeder's Senior Director of Business Operations and tells us what we can expect for Calgary Stampeder home games at McMahon Stadium this year. Well, oh, the need for food banks right across the country and, of course, here in Calgary has nearly doubled since the same time last year. To talk about it, we're joined this morning by the Calgary Food Bank's Shauna Ogston. Hi, Shauna. Good morning. Hey, thanks for joining us. Nice and early this morning. Um, Let's talk about this because yesterday the federal government announced a $100 million top-up for the Emergency Food Security Fund. So the money has to go through other groups before you and your people all at the Calgary Food Bank will see it, obviously. But do you expect that sometime in the near future, that money to come your way? Well, we've just gotten a note from Food Banks Canada, which is one
1: of the organizations that will be receiving 25 million of that amount, and then of course that will trickle down to all the food banks across the country. So we expect the that in, that top-up to of course come along in the next few weeks
0: hundred million sounds like a lot of dough, but when you spread it to food banks, coast to coast, it's like everyone gets a really small piece of the pie. But how important is that kind of a top up for you?
1: Well, you, no matter what the size of the pie is, it's, it's a great because it, there's a lot of um, services that food banks are providing in the community now that they weren't before. And there's a lot of uh, need for staff and supplies and equipment, and this will help.
0: So okay. much. Well, that's a good thing. Any help is is any any help is good help, right? Um, yes. We know demand for the Calgary Food Bank services hit some major heights throughout the pandemic, the last mm-hmm. year and a half or so. Is it starting to ease off a bit? Are people doing and feeling a little bit better in terms of uh, food security here in Calgary? You know, I wish I could say that that was the story, but we're actually
1: seeing the reverse. Uh, we know that uh, initially. There was a number of families and individuals who needed the food they couldn't go out and stock up like the most the rest of us did and now the effects of the economy and the pandemic are stretching the resources and we have uh, last month alone seen a 96 percent increase compared to june of last year and we know that we're one of the first in and the last out and that we're still going to be there for people who are going to need to stretch their budget or have used up their resources or never thought they'd have to use a food bank.
0: Wow. And, you know, I think that's the key thing, right, Shauna? We talk about this a lot when, when we discuss with you, uh, you know, who is using the Calgary Food Bank? It, it's not the, the vision that we have in our brains. It really could be anybody be anyone, it could be yourself, it could be your friends, your family, and unfortunately food
1: is the first thing to go in a lot of budgets, and so when you're stretched and you have to make a decision between rent or food, it's great that because of the generosity of of Albertans and Canadians and Calgarians specifically, we're able to make sure that we have the food there for people so they don't have to make those difficult choices.
0: You know, we have in uh, the community that I live in, in Coventry Hill, we've got one of those community pantries. And those are great because, you know, those who have at the time are Mm -hmm. able to to donate food to stock the pantry. But it's not enough, is it?
1: Yes. I mean... Beyond the pantry side, one of the things the Calgary Food Bank does is work with so many different community agencies to find out what the root cause of the food insecurity is so that we can connect them to the other resources in the community. There is great services out there, but not everybody knows how to navigate that. So let's take the crisis of needing food off its plate, literally, mm-hmm. and connect you to some of those amazing resources in the community. This is why It's so important to go to organizations like the Calgary Food Bank.
0: So what are some of the root causes? I mean, you know, pandemic, we can point to that specifically, job loss, I guess. But what are some of the other things that you're seeing and hearing? Well, we find that more than half of our
1: clients are working. So there's just not enough money at the end of the day once all of the, the expenses are which are creeping up constantly. I mean we've all looked at our gas bills lately and our water bills and we know those are going through the roof. Imagine if you are an incredibly tight fixed income working a couple of low income jobs, just how any change to your budget could change everything that's happening in your home. And a lot of this has to do with low-income underemployment and and increased expenses that drive people to needing that support. We're finding that people just need a few hampers to get over the crisis that they're going through and help them on that path
2: to resiliency.
0: And Shawna, you talked a little bit just a moment ago about different organizations that are available. So, I mean, beyond the food bank, what else is there for folks? Oh, There's so
1: many great Um, organizations that are in the food space themselves that we're able to share large volumes of food with and get out into the community. But if somebody is going through a tough time, whether it's um, domestic abuse or substance abuse, or even if it's just here we here's how we can work with um here's an organization that can work with you with your taxes for example and make sure that you get those things wrapped up and get the benefits that you deserve that is going to help with an income stream and we can connect them to the different organizations
0: Oh, well, that's perfect and you know we all see it at the grocery store the cost of groceries especially when you bought when you want to buy fresh healthy food has just gone yes. up and up and up and especially right throughout the pandemic right so that's just making things even more difficult for people Oh,
1: it is. And when we've helped over 37,000 people last month alone, we know that there's many people in this city that are food insecure, but they can reach out. We have the food because of the generosity of Calgarians and food industry. We're here to help you make sure we can.
0: And are you looking for volunteers always to help out down at the food bank? Well, we're always looking for volunteers there's many ways to help us in the
1: community or actually at the food bank we are still uh, exercising our covid protocols until the end of august uh, so we'll be reevaluating those as things change and we know that things are not going to get slower they have just steadily increased so if there's so- if you can donate time, we'd love to have you, and it's simple to just go on the website and check it out.
0: And what about money? Do you, I mean, Obviously, you're never going to turn down a f- uh, you know, any kind of donation, but is it better for people, particularly through COVID right now, to, to donate money to the food bank? Because you guys are brilliant at stretching a dollar.
1: Well, yes, for every dollar that's donated, we can leverage that into $5 worth of food, and it truly helps us so that we can buy those core items that we need in the hampers all the time, and that way we'll be able to have it for the future because we know that things aren't going to change
0: anytime soon sadly not uh calgaryfoodbank.com for folks to go online find out more information and donate money yes calgaryfoodbank.com thanks shauna appreciate it thank you take care have a great day that's shauna Ogston, communications with the calgary food bank and again go online easy to donate 10 bucks 20 bucks if you've got it right now calgaryfoodbank.com All right. Are you ready to head back to the office? A lot of folks have been working from home over the past 18 months or so. So how will it look going back to the workplace? How will it work just not for you, but for your employer as well, for everybody involved? So it's time to check in with an expert who has some thoughts and opinions and is weighing in on the issues. Uh, Joining us is Janet Candido, who is the founder and principal consultant of Candido Consulting Group. Good morning to you, Janet. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks I, for having me. I guess there'll be challenges for both, right? I mean, we think about ourselves as the worker going back to the office, but but for employers as well. So what are you hearing? What are your thoughts on the, the whole thing?
2: Well, I think that um, it's it's a gray
0: area and I'm not sure anybody has quite figured it out. <sighs> I guess that's the Uh, truth, right? And Until we get into it and figure out, you know, what the next steps will be. Okay, so there's a big debate we know um, raging over whether workers should be vaccinated before being allowed to head back into the office. And we're hearing a lot of that in the United States. It's particularly become part of the discussion. But what are you hearing about on on that issue here in Canada?
2: Employers have a a responsibility to provide a safe workplace. And that translates for most of them into saying they want workers to come into the office to be vaccinated and that is causing some consternation if you will with those who choose not to be vaccinated so that's a big issue for employers how do they address that because employees who are vaccinated want to know that
0: everyone else in the office is also vaccinated and there seem to be some mixed opinions even from the legal community on this topic.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. It would be so much easier, wouldn't it, if yeah. everybody had one
0: opinion and they all agreed with it? It would be much easier, wouldn't it? But yeah, so that <laughs> you know, makes it even that much more challenging both for the employers and the employees. So what should employers be thinking about in terms of creating a, a back-to-work policy?
2: I tell them to start by speaking to their employees about what their desires and their concerns are and really listen to what they're saying to you. Keep an open mind. Some employers are going into this as, okay, this the pandemic is over, we're all okay, and we're going back to, you know, the before times. And that's not necessarily going to work. And if they try and simply dictate, as of this day, we're all back in the office, they may get pushback from their employees. So ask them. Ask them what they want. Ask them their opinions. Um, Listen to them. Listen to what their fears are. People who have to take public transit are more concerned than those who are driving or walking or cycling.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Do you think it'll just sort of be, a, you know, a case of trial and error in terms of balancing the needs of business and the needs of employees in terms of whether it's, you know, remote work, hybrid work or full time at the office?
2: To some degree, yes. Again, I recommend that everybody look at it as a transition period, not, um, you know, as of September 1, this is what we're doing forever, but maybe a transition over the next few months as we see what works and what doesn't work and be willing to be flexible. I think that's the most important thing, be willing to be flexible
0: on on what you are expecting both of your employer and of your employee. Yeah, I was going to say because it, you know a poll came out this week that says nearly 20% of Canadians would quit if they're told they have to go back to the office.
2: Yeah, that might be a bit high, um, but it's probably the way they feel. And I I think it has to do with their fears around uh, who they're going to be mixing with. Are these people vaccinated? Are they not vaccinated? Are they wearing masks? Are they being kept apart? How safe is it to get there? It's not just wanting to work from home.
0: It's everything around having to get to the office and being in the office as well. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. A tough debate is one that will continue as more and more people head back to the office. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. That is Janet Candido, founder and principal consultant of Candido Consulting Group. And you can go online, candidoconsultinggroup.com. And uh, just looking into uh, a little bit further into this study that said nearly 20% of Canadians would quit if forced to go back to the office post-pandemic. So uh, it's a study done by Angus Reid and 53% of Canadian households had at least one of its members working from home over the past year and a half. Of that 53, more than a quarter admitted they have absolutely no desire to return to the office and and want to keep working remotely I'm sure you know for most of the people that I've talked to you know, there are certainly many who need the you know to be around other people to be in the office to to have a place to get up to get dressed and go to but yet so many said it was really easy working from home it made things far more easy both with family and with all the other costs and expenses involved too well in this poll nearly half of the employees set to return to work said they wouldn't mind balancing it between home and office so it wouldn't be a bad idea if they can do a little bit of both, a hybrid version. Two out of five Canadians said they would return to work at the office full time without really much of an issue at all and 25% said they would begrudgingly return but they go back and they'll start looking for another job because they're not going to be terribly pleased about it. Uh, you might not be surprised by this part of the survey. Young people aged 18 to 34 and men in particular say they are very likely to reconsider their employment if they're forced to go back to the office full-time. Uh, Angus Reid saying the hybrid office will be in very high demand. and No surprise there. I think a lot of businesses have realized that a lot of their people can do many of these jobs from home. Many can't, but many can uh, post-pandemic world, you know, as we move into that a little more and more, a better work-life balance may be on the horizon, and uh, that may help things at home as well. I think, you know, it, it, it helps us because we do spend so much time at the office, so much time at work doing our jobs. That's just a part of life, but when you can, you know, be a little happier while you're doing it, perhaps if some of that work can be done at home, Does make sense. Certainly seeing some texts rolling in on this topic. This person saying I'm vaccinated. Don't really care if my coworkers are or are not. The message changes constantly from public and uh, health officials. um, And when a politician says, believe me, guess what? I'm assuming you think you probably shouldn't. Um, As usual, a one-sided conversation. I'm not sure how that's one-sided. It's a poll we're talking about and uh, someone who is a consultant and lives in this world talking about what people are expecting. So, uh, let's see. uh, This is CNRL has mandated that all workers must be back in the office now. So, yeah, some companies are saying that's it. No more at-home work and, and maybe no more hybrid, but that may change as things go on for sure. And I think it's a great message that, uh, you know, bosses and employees need to talk to each other and, and see what people want. And many people are saving big time working from home. And a good example is on daycare. That's another texture and another excellent point. Well, when COVID-19 first hit, doctors had no real way to treat the disease. They tried different things, but in the end, there was little they could do once you caught it other than hope that you recovered. However, now researchers in Canada think they may have come up with an effective treatment for COVID. We're joined this morning by Dr. Anil Gupta, who is a family physician and lead investigator of the Comet ICE trial. Good morning, doctor. Thanks for joining us.
3: Uh, Good morning. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate it. So it's important, first off, we make the distinction that your work is for a treatment, not a cure or another vaccine. So tell us about it.
3: Okay, so uh, this is a monoclonal antibody. So the problem with COVID is it's a new virus. You know, we don't have any defense for it. So it's like going to battle, you know, without your troops being ready. And this treatment is like an instant army. Right. So you, you get exposed to COVID. It's early in the illness. Uh, you get this given to you and boom, you know, it, it kills the virus off very effectively. And in the study, greatly reduced hospitalizations and death.
0: Wow, okay, great analogy too. That really makes a lot of sense. So, so let's talk about the, the drug itself. It's received authorization for early treatment for adults and adolescents, so 12 years and older. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this drug particularly works and how you came upon it.
3: Okay, so well, it, it wasn't my coming upon it. It, it was an international mm-hmm. study, actually. So um, uh, some. Uh, it was a biotechnology company in California named VIR, V-I-R, and they're working with GSK, and I happen to be working with both of them. So uh, it, it was developed by them. And actually, interestingly, it would have also worked against SARS-1. So it's a very conserved, it attacks a very conserved part of the virus. Um, so, you know, that's why uh, we're not so concerned that if variants or mutations occur that it will make this drug ineffective, so we think it'll work against all the variants and and, and mutations as well.
0: So, how how often or how much has, a use has it been put to, or, or testing has been done on on actual human beings with COVID at this point?
3: Right. So, uh, the trials have been completed. Um, now, they're intravenous formulation trials, so that brings uh, a, a little bit of a logistical challenge uh, because you need an IV setup and. Or that sort of thing. So ongoing trials are happening with other formulations like intramuscular formulations. But, uh, but, but the drug is approved in the U.S. by the FDA. It's approved in the UAE. It's approved by the European uh, authorities. It's being given. In Canada, it was just approved on Friday. So hasn't yet been given in a clinical setting, still only in a research setting, but we're hoping that day comes soon where, it, where it's available for patients early on in their disease.
0: So, sounds like we've got some positive results so far. What about negatives? Because there's always going to be something that we look at to determine whether there are some problems and it can't be used for everybody.
3: Right. So, uh, in all studies, there's a detailed analysis about adverse effects. And um, typically, with a monoclonal antibody, so this attacks one area, does one specific thing, we would expect less, uh, less side effects. And that's, in fact, what we saw. So, there were... Um, hundreds and hundreds of individuals uh, in the trials and really not much seen at all. So just, you know, anything that happened to individuals, we believe was just their underlying coronavirus. So not really from the drug.
0: Have treatments become sort of the priority now for researchers and scientists as as we have the vaccines in our grasp at this point?
3: I I still think vaccines are the priority. Um, uh, Treatment should be uh, developed, you know, in conjunction with... uh, with prevention measures. But uh, it, it's good that, you know, like you said earlier, and uh, you know, you made a statement that, you know, we hope people don't get COVID. If they get COVID, we, you know, they stay at home and we hope for the best. We now have a great treatment option to give them early on to prevent them from getting worse.
0: Great news. Thank you so much for sharing the research with us. Appreciate your time.
3: No problem. Thank you.
0: That is Dr. Anil Gupta, family physician and lead investigator of the Comet ICE trial. And you can go online at uh, ca.gsk.com. of us wear sunglasses when it's sunny especially during the summer months but how about in the winter or when it's cloudy or maybe hazy from the smoke ophthalmologist dr bryce ford joins us now to talk about how to best protect our eyes from harmful uv rays good morning dr ford thanks for joining us
4: morning sue thanks for having me
0: okay so it's you know seems pretty normal to wear sunglasses during the summer sun is high and bright so what do you say though in terms of what we do the rest of the year how important is it say even on cloudy days
4: well uh one of the mandates of the canadian ophthalmological society is to advocate for eye health and eye safety and an important aspect of this is protecting your eyes from the sun and so uh, a common misconception is that when it's sunny out sure we all wear sunglasses But when it's hazy or cloudy or even in winter, um, people don't necessarily wear their sunglasses as often because they don't feel they're as necessary. But UV rays are there all the time. So it is important to wear your sunglasses uh, when it's not necessarily just just bright out, but uh, at other times as well, whenever you're outdoors.
0: What are the UV rays actually doing to our eyes? I think maybe if we understood that better, we might be a little more cognizant about putting the sunglasses on year-round.
4: Right, of course. Well, UV rays basically are are harmful rays from the sun and they're not part of the visible spectrum. So it's not part of what you're seeing. So as a result, darker sunglasses don't necessarily mean you're getting protected more uh, than uh, lighter sunglasses. But what they're doing is the UV can impact your eyes. The structures inside your eyes can cause eye diseases like macular degeneration, cataract as well as the lids around your eyes are of course made from skin and these are susceptible to uh, things such as skin cancer which are uh, impacted by ultraviolet rays.
0: Mm, Okay Um, and what about the smoke that we have in the sky these days? It's irritating obviously but does it reduce the UV rays? Is it still important to wear sunglasses?
4: Yeah so the haze does not really impact how much UV is getting uh, getting through the haze so as a result on cloudy days on smoky days like we've had a number of in the the recent uh, months, it's still important to protect your eyes.
0: What about the type of sunglasses, Doctor? Are some better than others or do we just have to look for UV protection?
4: So as you identified, UV protection is the most important aspect and this doesn't mean that they have to be expensive sunglasses. In fact, if you can get a $10 10 or $15 pair from the drugstore, they can be just as effective as the $200 pair from Sunglass Hut. As long as they say UV 400 on the label or uh, 100% UV, that's the important factor is that it's cutting out the UV. So it's not so important the, the price or the darkness. It's that they're covering you for
0: the UV protection. UV 400 was the one that you said? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good to know. And you know, you always hear when you're on the water or near water, particularly that reflection from the sun off the water. Is that really something we need to be aware of? Is that an old wives tale or is that the truth?
4: No, that is the truth. So, uh, UV does get reflected off of surfaces such as snow or water so those are times it's really important to be wearing your eye protection and uh, including in the winter and another misconception is that polarized sunglasses protect you more from UV and this isn't the case although they do cut down on the glare from, uh, from surfaces that are flat, they do not improve the UV protection. So like I said, the 100% UV or the UV 400 are things to look for.
0: Okay, good to know. Great reminder. And hey, actually, before I let you go, my kids, obviously, most of our kids are, will be going back to school in September. When is it good we should always get our kids' eyes checked every year before sending them off to school? So, I mean, I, I,
4: getting your eyes checked to make sure that your kids are able to see the board, obviously, yeah. at school is important. And so especially if your kids are complaining about not being able to see, then definitely it's a good idea for them to see their eye care professional. And just as a, on a side note, many of the eye diseases that people do uh, get that can be serious don't have any symptoms until they're advanced. So it is important to always check with your eye care professional if you're having any symptoms or even if you're not just to make sure that uh, you're not having any sort of silent issues that can cause vision loss down down the road. And one way to test your risk factor for this is by going to the Canadian Ophthalmological uh, Society website, which is www.seethepossibilities.ca, and you can do a quick little test to determine what are your risk factors for developing one of the major eye diseases.
0: And just before I let you go, it's free for kids to get an eye check, right?
4: It is indeed, yes.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. My pleasure. That is Dr. Bryce Ford, ophthalmologist, and again, see seethepossibilities.ca. And it's a big day for CFL fans as the league gets back to it after missing the entire 2020 season. Joining us to talk a little bit more is Alex Snell, the Calgary Stampeders' Senior Director of Business Operations. Morning, Alex.
5: Morning, Sue. How are you?
0: Well, I am excited. You must be 10 times more.
5: Oh my gosh! It has been so busy around here for the last, you know, four to six weeks, and we are over the top excited uh, to be back after, you know, six hundred and thirty plus days.
0: Not that anyone's counting, Alex. Not that we're counting.
5: No, I mean, usually an off season feels long for us at about two hundred days. This is extremely long, and we can't wait for Saturday.
0: Okay, we are pumped as well. Football action back for the CFL, and uh, you know, lots of changes. I think, right, because of the pandemic, particularly. So let's talk about those first ticketing and how you pay for things at the stadium what can fans expect when they go to the home opener at McMahon and frankly all season long
5: yeah absolutely uh, two very you know big pieces that are, are going to be changing at McMahon we've gone to mobile ticketing uh, so this is new in in 2021 and all game tickets will now be delivered and distributed in, in a digital form so they'll be on your phone uh, your phone is your ticket and uh, we're looking at this and it's really going to help the fan experience uh, on game days hopefully shorten some of those lines of the building, no congestion at the will call or ticket office, and also, you know, uh lost or fraudulent tickets uh should be uh, non-existent as well, but we're also going cashless uh on our concourse uh for, you know, food and beverage and our merchandise. So, uh, you know, we'll gladly accept debit, credit, Apple Pay, Google Pay, uh smartwatches. Uh it's it's going to be very different, but uh, very, very cool as well.
0: I like it. No touchy-touchy. Uh, let's talk about food and experiences. What's going to be new at the stadium in terms of those? You know what? New
5: at the stadium this year, I mean, a, I mean, some of the biggest things, you know, mobile ticketing, like I said, and the cashless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we're doing, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, fans in the building uh, is going to be a little bit different uh, in terms of, you know, uh, again, just trying to alleviate that, those lineups, which I know at McMahon can be a bit of a challenge, but, you know, what we're adding more washrooms we're adding more Woo-hoo! hand sanitizer stations um, just the you know little things that we can do to help ease fans back into coming back to the stadium
0: it, will the food experience be different uh,
5: you know what i would have to talk to our food and okay. beverage guys They're you know what they're really really good and they always have something up their sleeve so i'm sure they've got something really special for home opener they just haven't told me yet
0: no doubt well it's all top secret that's
5: why it, that, that uh, probably is
0: how have ticket sales been are there still some available for us
5: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, ticket sales have been going as expected, you know, for a traditional home opener. Uh, we're, you know, north of 20,000 fans and it's climbing daily as we get closer to, uh, to Saturday. So we're, we're really, uh, we're really happy at where we're at right now. Uh, yes, tickets are still available, so you know, don't hesitate. Go to stampeters.com and get your
0: tickets today. Fantastic. We've been giving them away all week. As you know, we've got another four-pack to give away tomorrow, so that hopefully we can make sure those stands are fully packed for the players to come out and hear that roar again. Uh, this has got a little people, uh, a few people ticked off, though. Early season power rankings have the stamps at the bottom part of the league, so what do we expect to see on the field? I expect a nothing but goodness coming from our stampeters. Uh, 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 and you know what? <laughs> I think
5: over the years, our fans uh, what we say around the office in Huff we trust yes. and uh, we know he's always got something up his sleeve. I was talking to uh, our defensive coaches Corey May, Brent Monson and they said get your popcorn ready because it's going to be exciting.
0: I can't wait. Let's see. Uh, website will send people to stampeters.com right? You got it. Awesome. Thanks Alex. Great hey, season ahead too. no doubt. Take care. You too. That is Alex Snell, Calgary Stampeders, Senior Director of Business Operations. Get your tickets. McMahon is the place to be. Saturday, game time at 5pm, pre-game right here on 770 CHQR at 3.30, and we'll do it all live for you, including the post-game call-in show afterwards.
4: Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
0: Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.
3: And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.